Hi, it's Renee Garlop. Join Tom and I on the next episode of Shooting the Breeze. It's time for Series 3 of Shooting the Breeze. As we continue our focus on women's basketball, we'll be talking to more of the amazing players in the WNBL, the coaches that inspire them, those people behind the scenes that do so much for the sport, as well as so many more from across the Australian women's basketball landscape and beyond. It's the 42nd WNBL season, the longest running women's professional league in the country. And this year, 2022, Sydney will stage the FIBA Women's World Cup featuring the 12 best women's teams on the planet playing right here on our turf. There's so much to come in this season. Subscribe, like and review our podcast so we can get more Hoops content to you. It was a rare thing that the New South Wales finished first and fourth. A real testament to those 20 girls and those two age groups as a whole. It really just spoke to how deep they are and how talented they were. But also just to sort of look down the other end and, you know, both coaches wearing the same uniform, uh, you know, husband and wife. I actually thought it was a brilliant moment and I was really proud of that at that time. Both hugely talented players in their own right, Tom and Renee Gallup, share with us their individual career experiences and together in transitioning from successful playing careers to coaching. We get an insight into developing young female players at a critical stage when many of them opt out of competitive sports. Welcome to Shooting the Breeze. Joining my co-host Jacinta Govind and myself is Tom and Renee Garlop. Welcome guys. It's great to have you on the show. Thanks for having us. Thanks very much. This one's going to be really interesting because not only have you guys got uh, great careers as players, you're also coaching now and you've been around the sport for a long time. Now, obviously, there's a lot of people who will know you both, but a lot of the younger people coming through may not be fully aware of who you are and what your careers have been like. So do you guys want to give us a little bit of a background on yourselves and your careers and what you've achieved? Mine's not as interesting, so I'll go first and then we'll finish off with Renee. I uh, grew up in Perth and just came through the pathways there as a player and um, went to the Australian Institute of Sport, now the COE, and that's where Renee and I met. Um, And then from there, I had a couple of years at college and uh, then after that, started a bit of a career in the NBL and bounced around for a little while, but then sort of found a home with the Sydney Kings um, which is fantastic. And then at the end of 11 years in the NBL, Renee and I, um, you know, we'd sort of started our family. So um, still firmly entrenched in the game and coaching and administrating and those sorts of things. But yeah, that's kind of my journey in a quick snapshot and lucky enough to do some some cool things along the way and still firmly in the game and, and having a good time doing it. So Awesome. And Renee? So I grew up in Wollongong and then I guess played state stuff with New South Wales country uh, throughout my juniors. Um, and like Tom said, went to the Australian Institute of Sport. And then from there, I was uh, lucky enough, I got to play a lot of junior Australian stuff, went to two world championships and got to represent the Opals quite young. Um, so I was very fortunate to be able to achieve that early on and then went played WNBL for a few clubs. I played uh, two seasons in Europe and then ended up at the end of it, my final year, uh, Tom and I had been apart for, for a lot of our basketball careers, so then I ended up um, moving to Sydney and finished up here. 
So I want to I want to get into your individual careers for a minute. So initially, Renee, as you said, you've played for a few clubs, AIS, and then you went to Adelaide, Logan, Bendigo, and finally Sydney. And you picked up a couple of uh, championship rings along the way. Yeah, it was uh, yeah two two definite, I guess, highlights of my career. They're both very different. The one we won with Adelaide was. Uh, yeah, you probably couldn't have written the story better. Um, that year we played Sydney in the final and for some reason Sydney couldn't host a grand final in Sydney, so the game had to be in Wollongong. So I was lucky enough to win a WBL championship in Wollongong, which, yeah, I still can't believe happened. Uh, and then the second one won the first WBL championship for Bendigo as a club, which was which was awesome because, yeah, I love my time in Bendigo, small country town, the town gets behind you, and uh, that was super exciting as well. Yeah, it, it's true. I mean, I went to uh, Bendigo for to shoot some footage for the Flames, and that's a pretty amazing crowd that they get in Bendigo. They're yeah. really – they all get behind the club, and it's great to see that sort of, that sort of passion from a small town – in an area that, you know, to be honest, country New South Wales, country Victoria, basketball's not necessarily the prime sport. Yeah, we were. I actually stayed on there because Tom and I had played two years of seaball together in Bendigo. So we kind of got a bit of a taste for the town and um, the fans. And yeah, the fans were unbelievable for the seaball. It was pretty much the same for the seaball to the WNBL. So that, that was why I ended up staying on there because I was already previously playing there. And uh yeah, they they love it and they get behind it. And since since we left, the they've got a brand new stadium. The facilities are incredible, so it's definitely been a, a breeding ground for a lot of success. And you know, you've moved into coaching. One of the things that's always interested me is the transition for players from playing to what comes afterwards, whether it be coaching or administration. How did you find that transition and how did you find yourself moving into that coaching role? I think I started pretty much how you hear a lot of people start. I was just asked to coach by Ben Knight, who used to play for the Kings. He asked me if I wanted to coach the first girls basketball team at Redlands. And I kind of was just said, yeah, sure, why not? And then funnily enough, it, it kind of took me into the career path that I'm on now. And seven years later, I'd gone from coaching the first girls to now the director of basketball at the school. So it wasn't something that I necessarily thought I would do. I think Tom was a bit different with it all. But, um, yeah, it was just something that was offered and, and took it. And I guess uh, the type of player I was was super competitive and you, you still get to to have that while you're coaching. And the competitiveness and, the you know, the, the adrenaline you get from a player you get as a coach. So while helping, yeah, I guess as many people as you can. So yeah, I kind of stumbled across it, but really excited with where I'm at. And Tom, you've moved into coaching. You were uh, assistant coach for the Flames as well, and you're coaching at a private school. How did you find that transition from player to coach? Uh, yeah, look, I mean, it was something I, I kind of was doing while I was playing, you know, whether it be coaching at a private school in, in the off-season or the afternoons. And, you know, when I did wrap up, I tried to do a lot more of it. And it was it's difficult. You have some good moments and then you have some, some really, really low humbling moments. And I think, you know, I'm really, really glad I got the humbling moments and I, and I fell on my face a few times. It is a bumpy road and I think you sort of go from this ego climate as a player to... Um, having to serve and, you know, having to serve your players and, and lead in that 
sense. And then it is a big shift. And I think in the NBL, you know, it, you know, just speaking on the NBL because that's all I can kind of relate to from my experience. But yeah, there's a lot of ego and there's a lot of those sorts of things that you kind of you need a healthy balance of that as a player. But then you, you have to make this shift as a coach to really thinking of others quite consistently. And and for me, that was probably a bit of a jump and something that took some time. But yeah, like I've loved all the lessons I've learned so far and obviously still quite young. So, so much to learn. And I'm really enjoying the, the journey that I'm going on with all of that. And like, I mean, both of you are coaching at private schools. And one of the things that I've noticed is the quality of coaching and the quality of sports at the private schools, certainly in Sydney that I'm aware of, has improved significantly over the last few years. I was talking to someone not too long ago who was trying to relate the private school experience with sports as effectively a breeding ground for up-and-coming players. Both of you, how do you feel? Is that accurate or is that kind of maybe stretching it a little bit? Yeah, look, I think the the, the, the male private schools in, um, in Sydney do a hell of a job and there's some incredible programs. Ours is more just sort of concentrated in the um, in the summer months but some of these programs go year round and they invest heavily in their strength and conditioning and they and uh, you know I can speak on behalf of St Ignatius the school I'm at now and they, they really work to you know develop the athlete or not the athlete the student holistically um, I know Renee's done an incredible job uh, developing her basketball program at her school and you know I think I went to a private school in Perth and you compare the programs they have now and you you wouldn't consider what we had in, you know, the late 90s, early 2000s as programs. You just played for your high school team and it was good fun. But now you're like facilitating this whole program uh, that you go through. And, you know, there's there's some schools like Newington and Rex Nottage, they kind of set the bar there for a long time. And then these other schools have, have sort of caught on and, you know, it's a little bit competitive now. Who can administer and run the, the best program? And um, like you said, it is sort of at a point now where a lot of really high quality players are being are coming out and high quality kids too uh, off the court as well. So, um, but it, it has gotten to a point now where it's pretty amazing. And Renee, one of the questions I wanted to ask you about because of your experience with high schools is do you find that if, if you've got a really engaging program that potentially you're not losing as many girls in that sort of 14 to 16 year of age bracket that start to just drop out of sport? Yeah, that age group. Because normally sometimes in schools you'll see that, you know, your juniors have always got plenty of girls and then the higher you get to year 12, they drop off, especially because they want to focus more on the HSC or the IB. We've been pretty fortunate at Redlands. You have to do one rep sport a year, so they have to pick one. And thankfully our numbers in basketball in the senior school have been pretty consistent. And it's kind of, I guess, we've looked at it a way is like how can, how can we offer – exactly what these kids need so within our girls program we've got some kids that play state and they could be doing basketball up to four times a week strength and conditioning twice um now if i would have had that when i was going through like i would just that would be amazing to have the opportunity to play this much basketball with this and because we are in such a fortunate position to pay our coaches we've got really high quality coaches that these kids get day in day out and then you've got you know, the other students that perhaps don't really aren't pursuing a career in basketball or don't want to go the next level, they just really enjoy it. So we've been able to put on three-on-three tournaments for them or just their normal trainings but keep them competitive. So we've tried to engage everyone and put something on that fits every single person that wants to get something out of basketball. 
So well, having said that, we turned out all right. We didn't have that when we were kids, but we still turned out all right. That's what I say. If you knew how far I had to walk to get to a ring and you can just walk up the stairs and not come in, no, I'm just joking. <laughs> and sometimes an outdoor ring. Exactly. Well, I mean, not to, put us in, not to put us in the Stone Age or anything. <laughs> I definitely played... That. I definitely played uh, a round of CHS, you know, against a North Shore school in an outdoor court once upon a time. <laughs> that would never happen now. <laughs> it's interesting the, the way you've described that because to me I think a lot of the reasons that girls drop out during that age group isn't because of a lack of interest in the sport. It's just that some of the, the support that's required to keep them engaged just isn't there. Would you say that that's the case or? Yeah, I think I think friendship groups have a lot to do with it. Yeah, and we, we see trends with that at school with, like if say, I guess, for lack of a better word, if kind of the cool kids are playing a certain sport, then everyone will gravitate towards that sport. Um, this year we've lost a few girls to touch, so we, we compete with touch. And, yeah, I guess some of the, the more influential kids did touch and we lost a few of our players there. But I think... Generally, in my experience, I think that whatever their friends do, they normally gravitate towards. That's like anything, I guess, with us as well. If, if we're having fun and enjoying the people we're around, then generally you'll keep doing it. And that's a pretty good point, actually, Paul, because between Tom and Renee, between both of you, you actually cover two different pretty important age groups of female basketball. So, Renee, you're, you know, 14, 16, and Tom, you're sometimes like that late teens early 20s kind of age group because you've coached the under 20s New South Wales team the last I'm going to say four years would that be right Tom? Yeah going into the fourth year it's it's funny that the once you get to that age it's they do love it like if they're still playing and still striving to make their state team at that age it's often a, a real testament to you know their love for the game but also some of their resilience too because they've lost a lot of friends that, you know, maybe, uh, you know, called their heels at age 15 and didn't quite see it through. And and um, that's why I really love that that team and that age group is they do sincerely really want to be there and they love it. They're, no one's dragging them to be there. They're, they're the ones just like yourself and Renee that, that just have this love of basketball. Um, I find it really special. We don't, you know, we don't get huge numbers at trials and I think, you know, this year we've sort of got about 40 um, sometimes we've had a bit less than that, but they just love it and they're there because, you know, no one's making them be there. They just want to be there. I do have a real fondness for that sort of age bracket. And that can make coaching a lot easier too when you have a whole bunch of people who actually want to be there. And I, the thing that I found conflicting when I was coaching uh, reps a couple of years ago, or a few years ago now, is that when we were growing up, reps was like, you know, you committed uh, you don't miss a training unless you're sick, and if you're still sick, you still go and watch. You know, it always came first. And then when I went back to coach, and we, I had the eight and ones, and we were a really good team. We could have, like, I, I reckon we were going to make top four of state. And they were kind of like, oh, we never make state in our age group. We're just here for fun. And I was like, oh no, it's <laughs> it's not for fun. We're playing to win, right? <laughs> It wasn't the same. So you had to split between the kids who, yeah, still wanted to go on and play, you know, 20s and college and stuff and were putting in the work and then you still had the ones who were like, oh, I just do this for fun. I actually want to go and be a, a vet. I just do this to see my friends. So 
<laughs> yeah, it's it makes a difference when you coach the kids who are there just to play ball all the time. I mean, no yeah. disrespect to the other kids. They were great. Yeah. So we had Jackie Dover on. Oh, nice. It was really interesting hearing her talk about how she ended up gravitating into being a referee. Do you find that there are kids who are interested in basketball but maybe – they just don't have those skills that is going to translate to them being able to take the game further. Have you found that it's it's possible to get them to stay involved with basketball by maybe pointing them towards coaching or refing or something else to do around the sport? Yeah, I, I must admit, I don't really have yet too much experience with that. I, we have a few players, I guess, at Norse that don't really want to I probably aren't up to playing at that, that level of youth league or they might miss out on the team, but they want to stay involved in the club. So just getting them involved in rep coaching or getting them involved in coaching at Redlands to keep them there because they're great people and they love the game. They kind of understand the pathway. Try tried to do that, but um, that's probably my only experience, to be honest. We had a, had a couple of kids at Norse that we, um, when I was, administering that rep program that we transitioned to other things when they weren't quite at the grade anymore. Um, we had some that sort of showed them the ref program and they took up spots there. Yeah, I, I, th- I did my stats level one once. Uh, so, you know, there's plenty of things you can do. Uh, you know, you can pick up 50 bucks a game if you get your level one at North. So, um, you know, there's, there's little things like that. You can find a way, find a way to do something in the game and get a little bit back. I suppose it's interesting because I think I don't think a lot of kids at that age really understand that if you know if you actually stick it out, you could end up in the NBA or at the Olympics yeah. or yeah. you know at that level. And I think there's there's some real opportunities for kids. But the thing is, how do you get them? Look, let's face it; it's hard to get excited about being a ref. It is. <laughs> The money helps. I mean, that's how you kind of maybe can get them <laughs> is uh, a bit of money. But, yeah, it's, it's, it's not easy. One of the most unique combos in our sport, these two competing against each other as coaches, is just too intriguing for us not to explore. The Under-20 Nationals in 2020 created some legendary stories, none more so than this special dynamic. A tricky juggling act for the Garlop family, and fortunately we can report that mum and dad are now talking to each other again. Never a dull moment. So we just mentioned, Tom, that you have been coaching the New South Wales Under-20 Women's for the last three years, now going into the fourth. But this year, uh, you got to coach a New South Wales team each. So was this the first time that New South Wales took two Under-20s team to a Under-20s Championship? Or the second time? I think it's the first. First, yeah? Yeah. Like I, I'm not 100% sure on that, but I, I get the feeling that it's not too common for New South Wales to do it. Yeah, I, I, I think I'm pretty positive they've never taken this team, but yeah. I could be wrong. They've done it for New South Wales, like schools basketball, they've taken two teams, yeah. but I don't think at a nationals. No, yeah. I think, yeah, my recollection was first time as well. But, yeah, what was that like for you both? I suppose the dynamics between living in the same household, coaching for the same state, but coaching two different teams. Yeah, it was an interesting week. I shared a room with her assistant, Will, and then um, Renee and Kate Seabom, Renee's other assistant, shared a room. Originally, Brett had Tom and I in a room together, and then I rang Brett and I said, oh, could you just not put me with Tom for the week? And 
he I don't know I actually think he thought I was kidding and he was like you know it'll be like a second honeymoon like and I was like no it's probably gonna end up more like a divorce because if we have to play each other it's gonna get so competitive and Tom's gonna do my head in so I had to ring Will my assistant and be like look would you mind rooming with my husband I just can't do it like it'll just get too intense so and then lo and behold we played each other and I don't I don't understand how I would have been the one who caused the rift there because um, she didn't say a word to me for about 36 hours or whatever it was and then we rocked up and yeah didn't even look me in the eye when we won so you know it was, it was a close game. It was a close game. It was close with five minutes to go, so it was on. But I think that I think we managed to make all the players potentially feel more awkward than we felt because yeah. the, the shoot-around before the game was just so awkward because we were both so competitive and we were locked in and, like, uh, I was so incredibly proud of the, the group that I had. Um, they just played so hard all week. I just felt like... Anything could happen because I knew they were going to give it their best shot. So, yeah, we were in for the kill. And then everyone at shoot-around was kind of staring at Tom and I and we weren't talking to each other and then the girls didn't know what to do. And anyway, we, when the day was over, yeah, we, we got back to it. So it was all right. <laughs> Mum and Dad are fighting. We don't know what to do. Yeah. <laughs> now, to be fair, Renee, you did say at the start of this episode that you are super competitive. Yes, so there you go. So, I mean, her response, you know, I'm not justifying her response, Tom, but you know, obviously, Renee very well. I guess her not meeting your gaze is in the context of Renee being super competitive. <laughs> well, I look, I, there was no surprises on my end. I knew what was happening and I would have been happy to speak to her in the lead up to the game, but I also knew the reality of what she was going to be like, so I just left it. But, yeah, we all had a job to do on both sides. The, the professional thing would have been to, to not talk to her, to be honest, to, to respect the fact that she didn't want to talk to me. Yeah, but it's all too tempting, though, just to uh, egg Renee on a little bit when she's getting super competitive and super tense, just to <laughs> poke the bear a little bit, I suppose, as well. Uh, not exploiting your weaknesses or anything, friend. <laughs> <laughs> No, it was so, good fun. In all seriousness, it was like, it was actually really special, you know, like in a number of ways that it was a rare thing that, that New South Wales finished first and fourth, a real testament to those 20 girls and those two age groups as a whole. It really just spoke to how deep they are and how talented they were, but also just to sort of look down the other end and, you know, both coaches wearing the same uniform uh, you know, husband and wife, I actually thought it was a brilliant moment. And I was really proud of that at that time, just for so many reasons. It was really cool. Oh, definitely. Like it was when you put all your achievements from that week on paper between the two of you, also coming away with a gold medal, beating Victoria twice. And that's not to diss out any of our Victorian listeners. It's just that Victoria always sets such a high standard at any national tournament that if you beat a Victorian, you know, that's a double win almost. So, yeah, no, definitely you, both of you should be very proud from that week because I think you ticked off a lot of milestones and created some iconic moments in my eyes and I'm sure a lot of our listeners' eyes as well. So, yeah, no, definitely lots to be proud of. Was that dynamic similar to or different to when, Tom, you used to coach the champ women and, Renee, you used to play in the champ women? So that's a little bit of a different dynamic, I suppose, between the two of you. I'm really putting you to your paces today, aren't I? <laughs> 
Jeez. <laughs> uh, player coach, do you want to talk about that one? I think, well, in what the three years, I think we only had one hiccup in three years, to be honest. Yeah, I was pretty happy with how it went. I don't think it was, well, one of the girls on the team didn't even know we were married, so until halfway through. So I dare say I think it went well just by that. But uh, no, honestly, the group that we had at North were just such an incredible bunch of people and they were just so professional that, like, I'd like to think that I'm quite professional as well. And even if I did have, you know, I disagreed with Tom in any way, I was never going to show that. Um, One, because I didn't want to disrespect him, but I never wanted to put the players in a position where they felt awkward because I didn't think that would ever be right. So. In all honesty, it was actually pretty cool and special that we got to share those three years and we got two banners in that time as well. So, yeah, I'm grateful that we got to do it. And, yeah, I guess we were on the same team, so it was a lot easier. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a lot easier when you're pulling towards the same goal when you're yeah. on the same team, right? Yeah. Yeah, there were some some crazy moments too, like when uh, Renee went down with did her ACL for the third time in the semi final in. 2018 and yeah that was just a, a roller coaster sort of making her way back with two kids and that was really um really emotional time as well like Renee said she had went through a bunch of injuries and kept coming back and coming back and then we got to I want to say finish it off we, we sort of played a little bit last year but you know in, in 2020 with BNSW did a really good job to put on a season and we managed to walk away with with it that year it didn't really end that way, but in you know last year was so we had so many buys and stuff that we never actually really settled into the season. So it feels like we kind of almost still ended on a high. You know what I mean? It was a crazy three years, but it was um, for me, especially first kind of opportunity to coach uh, adults. It was really special. I'm glad Renee that you said that you still maintain your professionalism because that's definitely what it looks like on the outside and um, as an opposition that your club, uh, you were both setting a really high standard of professionalism for your team and I think for your club as well and perhaps even other clubs to follow on from. And look, like you said, it got you two championships. So it's definitely something that's super important for other clubs to look towards is, you know, having that level of professionalism if they expect to be as successful. I appreciate that. Thank you. So just quickly going back to the under-20s for a minute, do you guys think that New South Wales has kind of got a, a good pool of talent coming through? You know, New South Wales is able to put two strong teams on the field? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, that gem side that just sort of went ahead to Worlds had three New South Wales players and, uh, you know, Kitty Henderson was a bit unlucky to not get a Guernsey in that team as well. Mm. Yeah, I mean, and Renee's could probably speak a little bit more about what's happening even a bit younger than the under-20 age group. I'm pretty excited about the under-20 players that are coming through for this one, but I think the girls that are about 15 to 20 and, and maybe a couple of the other ones even a little bit older than like Izzy Palmer and stuff and Shiloh, for example, but there's an incredible crop, I think, coming through from New South Wales. Everybody sees Victoria as being the, the powerhouse state for basketball, but you know, do you think that this could be the start of something a little bit more for New South Wales? if we can kind of capitalise on, you know, getting some wins and trying to build some interest and keep that interest up as well as having World Cup coming up next year? So they've taken a bit of an interesting road. Some of them are doing the college thing. Some of them, are, you know, Kyra Evans is having got the flames. You know, half the battle for some of them is just getting your foot in the door, right? You know, like making sure you get into the right program, making sure you, uh, whether it be college or NBL, 
but there's a hell of a lot of them with with the ability to do it. So if they have the work ethic of a Renee or and they get into the right place that gives them confidence, you know, all these girls like Millie Pryor could do incredible things. Same with, you know, a lot of those girls that played for the Gems. Yeah, I think we're going to have a lot of players from New South Wales having opportunities. It's just, you know, are they going to continue their work rates on into their 20s like someone like Renee did that just never sort of took no for an answer and just kept working and working and working. I think there's a lot of them that got the ability to do that. I think so. one of my concerns is when you have a, a big pool of talent like we have now with this particular age group we're talking about, I'm kind of getting worried about the limited options of when they say they do finish college or they do finish under 20s and they don't go to college. It's kind of like I get worried that sometimes there's not enough options or professional options for those, you know, Australian standard young players to go on with because, you know, WNBL only has so many teams. What do you think about going to college and then the risk of not being picked up by a WNBL team when you come back if that was what they were hoping for? Do you know what I'm yeah, trying to say? Like I limited think, uh, options. I think it, I, I know this is what I believe, whether it's right or wrong, is that if you're good enough and you work hard enough, you'll always find a way. Like you never really see someone that's, that's you know, performing at college or performing at NBL1 or performing, gosh, it could be anywhere, right? And they're, they're a workhorse and they're getting it done they'll find a way to play professionally. Generally, yeah, I'd be shocked if there was someone out there that, do you know what I mean? I don't know whether you guys agree or not, but yeah. And I guess now, like with college, I feel like I'm hearing more about college players now than I ever have just because of the internet and social media and how easy it is to watch their games. I think that um, they're kind of not forgotten anymore. Yeah, I think when we were in that age group, there was a bit of a risk of, well, whether it came from us or if it came from people whose opinions we looked up to, that wasn't always correct. Uh, we had the idea that if you go to college, you might kind of be forgotten about and it was best just to stay at home if you had aspirations to play in the WNBL. But it seems like that tide is now changing. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I believe there's, I don't know if there really is a wrong option anymore. I think that you have to pick what suits you, whether that's going to college, playing WNBL, you know, staying in Australia, whatever suits you best, where you'll thrive. And then if you're willing to put in the work, I think you'll find a way to get to where you want to get. And not a lot of younger players, I guess, uh, you know, will finish college or whatever and look to go to Europe because, like you said before, you played in Europe and we've got Beck Allen, Tolo, Alice Kunick playing in Europe. Is there a reason why a lot more of our young people don't go and play in Europe? Uh, I guess because every team in Europe only has two international spots or some some have more, but so that could be an American or an Australian or, or whatever. So it's not exactly easy to get a contract over there because you're competing with Americans for that. And typically it does pay, those jobs in Europe pay really well. So there is obviously a lot of people want to go over there and make money. So I guess it's potentially opportunity if that arises for people. And I don't know, it is also a lot harder in the sense that it's nine months that you're away out of the country. So if you want to be away from your friends and family, it is it definitely is harder than playing in the WNBL. When you're in Europe, they don't speak English majority of the time. So it is a lot tougher as well. So I guess it's not for everybody. Moving away from basketball for a minute, you're both coaches. They're not nine to five jobs. You've got two kids. How difficult do you find it to juggle everything and sort of try and keep everything sane? <laughs> yeah, it's been hard. <laughs> We're not sane. <laughs> <laughs> 
We'll stop you right there. <laughs> Let's uh, make that clear no. before we get started. <laughs> yeah. No, I think, uh, well, for starters, we're very fortunate that I have family in Wollongong, so uh, my parents help out a lot with the kids. Um, we wouldn't be able to do it without them. But then, yeah, I guess just we just I guess we figured out a way now that if you got this on, no, okay, I've got this, and just try to make our calendars not clash to make it work, really. Yeah, and there's been a bit of, you know, when I finished, I was trying to, you know, do a few things and, you know, to sort of learn and, uh, you know, find my way uh, within coaching and, and in the game after playing and, and Renee was really supportive of that and now I've sort of established myself you know I've got a couple of established roles at University of Sydney and and review and so a bit more predictability about my schedule so now Renee's sort of going to take on a few more challenges this year and and I can support her a bit more so um, one hand washes the other as well but I think we're in a in a spot now where you know Renee's going to take on a few great opportunities this year and yeah really looking forward to watching that as well do the kids are they at the point where they kind of get what mum and dad do and also what mum and dad did no yeah just do basketball (laughs) (laughs) have either of them shown a strong interest in it yet no (laughs) no (laughs) No way. No, uh, I, I mean, can't even like say even a little bit. Not even I a mean, little late bit. Late bloomers, maybe because I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but each of you, were, I mean, you've both had excellent careers on paper, but it wasn't like that from the the day you started playing basketball, right? You all had to kind of come into your own over time. Yeah, that's true. Hunter, when people ask Hunter. Are you going to play basketball? He said, no, no, I can't do that till I'm bigger. So he believes he can't start because everyone's so tall. But little does he know that if he waits till he's too big, it might be a little bit too late. But uh, yeah, that, that's usually his answer back to it. <laughs> and what about Max? What does Max say with the whole thing? Oh, I don't know. He just comes and punches someone and leaves. <laughs> Max is on his own planet. He's great. Yeah, he is. No, I don't know what Max is into yet, but we're all waiting with bated breath. <laughs> I think I think uh, when Max gets bigger, to quote Hunter, I think sport will be his calling. He'll be way to, a great way to channel his Yeah, he's going to need it. His energy. <laughs> yeah. That's true. <laughs> You've probably guessed that as we do these, we tend to ask the odd question that's totally unscripted, totally we just throw it out there. I'm going to ask this one. We'll start off with you, Renee, and then we'll go to Tom. If you guys were going to be any movie character at all, who would you be? Oh. <laughs> Renee, I was hoping you'd be pleased was... considering you've listened to some of our last episodes. <laughs> it, wasn't, it was on the island, the one I heard. <laughs> oh, you heard the island? Yep, that was with Sarah and Kristen Veer. Oh, that's yeah. right. They had <laughs> movie. Honestly, I think I'd just like to be Jennifer Aniston because she doesn't age. <laughs> lately, I well, lately I've been watching. I'm only saying this because I've recently watched something she was in. But gosh, surely I can come up with something better than that. But <laughs> you'll, uh, go to, you'll go to bed and think of like everyone at least yeah. three as soon as your head hits the pillow. Oh, Tom, I don't know. What about you? I, I, yeah. I, I'm a Wes Anderson fan, so I, I, I'm Steve Zissou all the way. 
<laughs> would you be that particular character, Tom, or would you be any of Bill Murray's characters in the Wes Anderson film? In the Wes Anderson world? No, I, I'm Steve Sisu, 100%. <laughs> Don't even have to think twice about it. All right, so we know to get you a, a matching red beanie. For that's, it. Birthday, <laughs> yeah, or, that's it. Or Christmas. Christmas isn't too far away. <laughs> it's interesting you mention that because my uh... – my eldest daughter had to watch that for English for high school. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's great. Oh, wow. That's fantastic. That would have been awesome. That's a great movie. We had to watch the really serious Blade Runner when I did English at high school, which was great now when you're an adult and you do the cross-referencing with the text. But when you're 16, 17, you don't care about that at all. <laughs> <laughs> Love to watch Life Aquatic when I was in high school. She yeah, saw bright colours and silly jokes. Well, I've got to age myself and say, when I went to high school, we didn't even get to watch movies. We just had to read the book. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm going to try and think of another throwaway question for you both, actually. <laughs> okay, while you're thinking about that one, I've, I've got something that I do want to ask Oh, go about. for it. NBL1's coming to New South Wales. What do you guys think that's going to do for us? I think it's already created a buzz that everyone's super excited about. I think... Uh, to have New South Wales now in the second tier league with the rest of the country is super exciting. The the way they've they've done the marketing is is awesome, and I think just generally talking to everyone, there's a there's a really awesome vibe and buzz around how excited everyone is. Yeah, I think a lot of people around the country write off Waratahs being second rate. I tend to think that it's a great opportunity for us for New South Wales talent to when they do get to that national final. Could probably, you know, shut a few people up. You know, I look forward to the competition and all that, but, you know, as an onlooker, whoever does make that national final, I'll, I look forward to really supporting whoever makes it because, yeah, I think we do have some talent in New South Wales and I, I really want to see them take on the rest of the country. Again, this is something we talked about a couple of podcasts back. We were both really surprised about the AIS or COE not getting into the NBL1. And look, we've heard a whole lot of different opinions why. I mean, one of them was, well, you know, they're going to beat everybody by 100 points, which I don't think is the case. You know, this was one of those ones that really surprised me, given that, you know, NBL One's really trying to raise that second tier of talent. What do you guys think about that one? Yeah, I mean, I'm not too sure the reason of why they're not in. I think it's disappointing, though. I think they should definitely be playing in, in one of the leagues in Australia. I think the best part of like I, I'm, I'm going to turn the clock back, but when we were at the Institute and I was lucky enough to play in the WNBL and Tom was playing in the Seaball for the AIS, it created, like people wanted to go watch the up-and-coming talent. So no matter where you played, it could be, you know, the AIS playing in Perth or anywhere, people came to watch just because they wanted to see the future Opals or the future Boomers. And I think them not being in a league, one, I don't, it's, it's unfortunate because they're not going to get games and I think being there you want to play games, but also... The rest of the country doesn't get to watch them. And now everything's live streamed. They could be on show every week and everyone would get to see the talent coming through. So, yeah, I think I think it's disappointing that everyone doesn't get to see that. We went up to Hills last year to see, see them play, just particularly to see that new and up-and-coming talent. Yeah. And, man, they were amazing. I was watching them going, there's so many here that I think could easily go in as bench players in the WNBL because they were that good. Yeah, and I think you'll remember, like I think you'll find that, you know, whoever was on that team, whether it, you know, be a New South Wales kid or a Victorian or Queensland, 
and they go on to play for Australia at the Olympics and you'll be like, remember when we watched them play at Hills and you refer back to that? And I think that's, yeah, that's a shame that everyone won't get that opportunity. That's a really good point, actually, because I think, yeah, like Paul said, when we covered this in um, one of our previous episodes, we definitely talked about the lack of game time because you can train as hard and as long with whoever you can have access to. You could be training with Kevin Durant every second day, but it's not going to replace game time, right? But yeah, like you said, I just thought it was me or maybe it's just us because we like to be basketball nerdies. Um, and no shame in that. We're proud basketball nerdies. But I love tracking someone's career. Like I love seeing them, even watching them at nationals. Like my mum used to take me to a couple of under-16s or 18s nationals before we made our own state teams as a bit of an inspirational thing. I don't know, but it was great. But we, yeah. I used to be able to watch people and be like, oh, that's Shelley Hammond. How good was she at 16s nationals? Oh, my gosh, now she's in the AIS. Oh, my gosh, now she's played this really long career and, like, tracking someone's career like as a true sports fan is yeah I don't know it's it's something really special when you get to see someone's success over time like that yeah it and is. It's, that's completely lost now isn't it with the COE being excluded from NBL1 so no I think that's a really really good point yeah look I'm hoping that maybe it's a first year thing and maybe you know in the second year they'll get in uh, the other downside to it is it's going to affect the ability of the AIS to actually be able to bring in those the talent that they're going to try and develop because they're going to be looking at the AIS going, it's great to be going to the AIS, but I'm not going to get that game time that I really want to be able to get to help develop my game. Yeah, and I think that there's that, but then also I'm sure the COE like the, that age group, they're preparing for world championships, whether they're going away with the emus or the gems. So they need to be playing games to be ready for when they mm. do go overseas to play at these world championships. So I'm sure, I hope that it's just a one-year thing and they're in the following year because, yeah, exactly like you said. Or like if borders continue to open and we're able to travel a bit more freely that they can get some practice matches and do some kind of a tour in preparation as well because... Yeah, other previous episodes we've talked about the different Opals teams we've seen this year, e.g. Olympics and Asia Cup and, you know, comparing the preparation time and stuff like that between both of those squads. And I think it was Tolo actually made a really good point when we got to interview her just after the Olympics about how in previous Olympic campaigns they've got to tour Europe and overseas and have those practice matches like ahead of the Olympics. But, you know, if you scale that back, for our COE athletes who are the future Olympians and they're not even getting games at home. It's a real shame. So hopefully they go on the road somehow. But, so yeah, Paul talked about when they went to watch COE play Hills and they came to the Central Coast to play against us as part of that kind of, like, pre-season games, I guess. And I remember they arrived just as I was walking to the bathroom and when I saw them, I just went, holy shit, I'm going home. Oh, you were playing against them. We were playing against them. I, I think I was going to get strapped and the physio was in an older room in the foyer and they just walked in and I just looked at them and I'm like, nah, I'm going home. Nah, yeah, not they're all huge, them. hey. They were huge, <laughs> huge. And, I mean, it's like I didn't get to play a lot that game anyway, so I kind of saved myself. But it was intimidating just looking at them. <laughs> and to think that that's going to waste, not going to waste, but they're not provided an ample opportunity to develop their talents is a real shame. Uh, I thought of the uh, off-the-cuff question, if you're ready. Go ahead. Yeah, let's, let's do it. It's nothing too bad. 
what's an incorrect assumption people make about you? Jeez. <laughs> I, I feel like we're boring. I don't feel like there is any. <laughs> I don't know. People don't really tell me anything. What do they, they ask Renee about that? About you? Yeah, go on. Or are, they, or are they bang on every time? I feel like everyone's bang what? Okay. Let's <laughs> see. There you go. No surprises. Yeah, that's terrible. Sorry, Squin. I feel like <laughs> sees what you get. I don't know. I think that I've stumped you. It's still been entertaining enough. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's too bad, like, we don't film any of this on camera too, just to see you both kind of looking up in open space <laughs> trying to find an answer. <laughs> Come on. <Yeah. laughs> All right, guys. First of all, I want to say thanks for coming on the show. It's been a lot of fun. Obviously, we're going to keep an eye on what's happening for you guys coaching-wise and want to catch up with you again further on down the track and have a chat about what you're doing. But really, thanks so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Thank you. I really enjoyed myself. Yeah, thanks so much for having us. I've, um, I love what you guys are doing. So, uh, yeah, promoting basketball in the way you are. So thank you so much for having us on. Okay. Jacinta, thanks so much for joining us again. And guys, thank you so much. Thank, thank you. you. Shooting the Breeze can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Don't forget to subscribe and share the podcast with all your friends.